letter to the Galatians chapter 4. Guess this is a safe place to begin to read the Bible for the first time. If you never, you, you know, you're not a Bible reader, you didn't bring one, all you need to do is just Google search Galatians 4 and the initials ESV or English Standard Version. That'll be the translation I'm reading from. You're going to want to read it for yourself, see it for yourself. I'll do all the rest. The letter to the Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11, the translator heading reads, sons and heirs, sons and heirs. And as you find your place, we're back in Galatians. Hope you're feeling what I'm feeling. You feel it. If you've been tracking with us, I hope you feel it. Christianity, Christianity feels a little dangerous. It's a little dangerous for those in the know. Not because it imposes some list of do's and don'ts, but precisely because in its purest distilled 100% proof, state nothing, 200% proof state nothing, it requires nothing but faith, a reception of what God has done. It is first and foremost uh, an invitation to behold something, not to behave. Ah, it feels a little dangerous when you're trying to figure this whole thing out. As I read this last week, I'm growing to love this guy an old American theologian who I do not necessarily recommend. you got to read him carefully. But oh, he says some, I would say, because if you know him, you'll know because he wrote a book about cooking, oddly enough, a theologian. Uh, he says some delicious things. Uh, his name is Robert Capon. I don't recommend him. However, he writes, I think this strikes at the very heart of what we've been experiencing in Galatians. This is what he writes. He says, St. Paul never said, and he's going to mess up a verse here. He goes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the condition that after a reasonable length of time, <laughs> we would become the kind of people no one would ever have to die for in the first place. <laughs> Otherwise, the whole deal's off. <laughs> St. Paul never said that. Then <laughs> isn't that the truth? Isn't that true? Thank God. We make Christianity out too often. We make it out to be all about us, who we are, what we do. What the, what the church can accomplish in our mission, how I feel about myself, what I think about other people, rights and wrongs and ethics and principles and a way of life behaving. We think about behaving rather than beholding. So often is the case. Working rather than wondering. Proud rather than amazed. Panicking rather than peace. And that's what I've experienced as we've been studying Galatians. Uh, to quote the same guy again he says the truth the truth that makes us free is always ticking away like a time bomb in the basement of everybody's church <laughs> oh, the truth that always makes us free is ticking away like a time bomb in the basement of every church the gospel we are the freest people on the planet we're the freest people on the planet. That's been the message of Galatians so far, and today is no different. He's going to kind of shift and bring in some new words, but it's the same message. Would you look with me as we continue our exposition? Chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I'll read, then pray, follow along. Verse 1. Paul writes. He's reasoning now. I mean, verse 1, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, verse 3. In the same way we, way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And I'm going to keep reading. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, oh, that's a great phrase. How can you turn back again to the weakness, weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. The very words of God, would you join me in a prayer that we might understand them. Father, your words are good for reviving souls, binding up broken hearts, instructing, giving wisdom. So do what only you can do in this humbling, seemingly impotent, <laughs> unpowerful thing called listening and reading. Would you change us supernaturally this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, okay, at the risk of sounding like an old man, at the risk of sounding like an old man, the problem with kids today... <laughs> The problem with kids today are that they have no idea how good they have it. They have no idea how good they have it. Last night, my wife and I, Kiersey, in a rare moment, we're going to catch, catch up on our current show. We always got one going on, queued up, and I'm, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is because we're always like years and years and years behind, maybe decades behind, and I don't want you to spoil it or the internet to spoil it, so we've got to be very careful. But as we sat down, like clockwork, out-peeped one of my ch children, uh, from her bedroom, asking if we were watching a show. <laughs> and if we were watching a show, could she watch the, a show too, right? Because one of the most important principles in the Terbetsky household when it comes to entertainment is justice and equity, that everyone has a right to ec the equitable distribution of television and movie time screen, right? Screen time, right? And the answer was yes. Right? Yes. And then came this question number two. There's always a follow-up question. Can I, can I watch a show too? Are you, as in, are you mom and dad watching Netflix? Now, keep in mind, here's the context. I'm a cheapskate, if you didn't know. We have a one-screen Netflix plan. <laughs> and if they had a half-screen, low-def, 480-piece plan, I would get that plan. But they don't, so we have the one-screen plan. So you see this is where it's going, right? Even our seven-year-old seven can discern the dilemma, and she was disappointed that when uh, she found out that we, indeed we are watching Netflix. And, 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 and here's my point. It wasn't long ago that you didn't watch Netflix online. There were no one, two, three screen plans. Netflix wasn't a streaming service. 
<laughs> Some people are like, what? Listen, <laughs> it was a mail-in service. It went at U.S. postal speed times. And if you wanted to watch a movie, you should have thought about that a week ago. And then a week after you watch the movie, what happens? You realize you want to see another movie, but you still have the old movie, and so you have to put it in that red envelope and put it out there and plead that it's not Sunday, and he's not going to pick it up, but it's Monday. And then he takes it, and then you wait. Every day you go to the mailbox, can we watch a movie today? Kids today, they have no idea how good they have it. Oh, man, amen. We lived our lives one envelope at a time. <laughs> I wonder, though, I wonder, this is why I say, if, if the same could be said about you and I. Not about Netflix, though Netflix comes into play, but, but, but about being Christians. About being Christian. Do we know how good we have it? Do you know how good it is to be a Christian? There's an old saying about the truth about the gospel. It was popularized 10, 20 years ago by a pastor out in Manhattan, Tim Keller. He said it so well, re-engineered it, and said it in a very poetic way. It sums up all of Galatians, but I think in particular this passage this morning. Here's what he says. Many of you already know it. That's why I'm repeating it so it sticks in us. He said, the gospel is this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves forget the world inside here than we ever dared believe but yet at the very same time at the very same time this is what the gospel says we are more loved and accepted in jesus christ than we eh, we we ever dared hope the gospel is this we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Can you, you, can, you could sense the desperation in Paul as he pleads with his friends and churches around the region of Galatia who are beginning to consider adding new practices and cultural stuff to their expectations of what the life of a Christian is to be all about. It's right there in verse 11. If you peek down there again, he ends our passage today by saying, I am afraid. I fear I may have wasted my time. You ever felt like that? Why? Because they don't seem to get it. How good they have it. How good it is to be them. Rather than before. The old you, the old thems. Listen, this is the truth about you and I and everyone who has ever lived since the dawn of time, starting with the first man and woman all the way up to the babies being born over at St. Joseph's Hospital this morning, we are all far worse than we ever imagined apart from Christ. And for those He saves, in an instant we are far more loved than we could have ever have dreamed. The, wall, the way Paul says it, to illustrate this is by contrasting the life and the difference, the realities, the identity between slaves and sons. Slaves and sons. 
As in, for those who are Christians, it is as if we were all once slaves. By now, but now we are sons, and if this is true, and it is true, then why on earth, this is Paul's question, this is my question, we should be asking this question this morning of ourselves, why on earth would any of us, why would any of us want to go back to slavery? As if being, as if being enslaved was better. <laughs> Allow me to elaborate. Two points. Just following the flow of the passage, Paul's saying the same thing that, that Tim Keller quote says, slaves and sons, look with me again. Verse 1.1, slaves. Slaves. Paul writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. You caught this last week as Preston preached so well. The law of God, all that God has revealed and required and wrote on our hearts about how to live rightly in a right relationship with God has, was given to us to teach us to be a guardian over us in order to prepare us for something else, namely the righteousness and justification through the advent of Jesus Christ, ours by faith, a peculiarly receiving grace in a promised seed, singular seed, the promised one from Abraham who would take away the sins of the world. The law written on our hearts in this book. A guardian as the world was being prepared to be saved from itself. That's why Paul writes, again, verse 1, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers, oh, managers, until the date set by his father. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Enslaved to the elementary principles, the ABCs of the world. This is what it used to be like for all of us before we believed and received all that is offered to us in the gospel when we were united and rescued from our own sin and evil itself, united to the Savior when we were children. <laughs> That's what he's saying. When we were children, even though we were, but not already, but not yet, but already the owners of everything. Listen, the owners of everything. That's a crazy statement. Is it not that we, he, we, you are the owners of everything? Listen, the rabbit hole goes deeper. When we, what we believe about the gospel, it's not just a me and Jesus, you know, like sitting in the tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G kind of gospel. It's not. That's not what the gospel is. It's much bigger. We're talking about like a global takeover, a take back co-heirs with Christ, a land grab. What had been stolen from God, now cosmic, cosmic, whatever you want to call it, Ukrainian-Russian land grab moving the borders slowly, slowly. As Kuiper so famously said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, doesn't cry mine. The heir, owner of everything. The gospel's much bigger. On the last day, can you imagine? As Jesus cries, mine. I don't think we'll be able to say it, but we'll know it, and it's implied, and it's true. We will say, me too. 
mine too. Co-heirs with Christ. But before Christ, that's, this, is what, this is what Paul's, the point he's making. But before Christ, left to ourselves, this is what it, this is what it was like. Verse 3. In the same way, when we were children, before all of this, and before we had all that, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What good is an inheritance or a reward before it's received? It's down on paper, it's promised, it's guaranteed, but it's not ours yet. It changes nothing. You can't do anything with it. You don't get to enjoy it. You know, if you don't have it, Paul says you might as well be a servant, a slave. And in fact, the law prepared us to, to see ourselves as slaves. Slaves, how? To what? To ourselves. To you. <laughs> and a broken world that doesn't care about us, that lies to us and tells us that we could save ourselves from us. Our childhood, that's the metaphor. Our childhood was a form of bondage. So why would you want to go back to that? A form of bondage. That's, that's what it's like to be without Christ. And if you're listening and you've been resisting, all the invitations to turn away from all of your attempts to making yourself feel good about yourself and by some form self of self-improvement or self-confidence or self-care or self-medication. Listen, you and I who have believed this, we're both believing the same lie. The same lie. From the beginning, all of us enslaved to the idea, if I could say it this way, enslaved to the idea of human autonomy. You, if you won't have Jesus, are not free. You're, you're not free. There's no such thing as human autonomy. You can't be your own man or woman, really your own God, that, and that somehow by luck or work, hard work, the universe is one day going to bow down to your wishes and dreams. <laughs> That's a lie. It's a lie. You're like an heir who is still waiting for your inheritance. A child, no better than a slave. With no more access to all of God's riches than anyone else apart from Christ. No one's getting ahead. If you skip ahead, verse 8, watch, Paul repeats his same turn of thought. He, he does it twice. He says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Think everything that casts a spell on you. Think everything that you crave. Everything that you desire. Even good things. All these things can be, they can be treated as if they are gods. Idols. Good things that we turn into bad things. Sex. Money. Power, music, health, school, family, safety, security. We were all once slaves to things that are not gods. And these not gods were cruel taskmasters. Have you forgotten? If you're a Christian. They were never satisfied. You could never get enough of any one thing. My family used to love Sioux Plantation. God rest its soul, if you remember. <laughs> and the thing about Sioux Plantation was that you could have as much of whatever you wanted. And so that's why it was so, it was a, it was a social experiment that failed. Because people would walk in and they'd offered them a full balanced meal. 
vegetarian meal, but a full balanced meal, unless you pay whatever, the $3.49 for the chicken, <laughs> which, my God, I'm a cheapskate, not going to get that. And one kid would just get a huge mound of lima beans covered with ranch dressing. <laughs> That's all he wanted. <laughs> Let me tell you, it did not satisfy. <laughs> <laughs> but it did a you for us. Talk about it's slave to the elementary principles. <laughs> I did the same, and I'm going to tell you what I got. I got mushrooms because they're expensive, and I'm a cheapskate. There's a mound of mushrooms with the winter ranch dressing on it. Oh, okay. Tacos are waiting. <laughs> Verse 9. But now you have come to know God. Or rather, I would say, oh, or oh, way, way, way more accurate, better. To be known by God. How can we Turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Whose slaves you want to be once more. Like kids who don't know any better. We don't know how good we have it. Verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I think that's at the bottom. Oh, if you've noticed, and it's not, it's not all bad, but if you notice, even in, we'll say, just the church world and American evangelicalism, there's a, a wrestling for wanting, wanting, wanting liturgical calendars, church calendars and rhythms and patterns, and th- they're not all bad. And we celebrate some of them, but there's like this endless... Give me something more to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to wear. I would love a uniform on Sunday mornings. We all wear the same thing on Sunday mornings. I'd feel good about myself and think if I don't like how I look, it's because of you and not because of me. That's what my pastors told me to wear. If someone could just tell me what to do, then I can stop. Stop believing so much and instead just concentrate on the behaving not that God doesn't intend to change us <laughs> and we are expected to change growing more and more in his holiness into Christ's likeness that's the last two chapters of Galatians the church is called and the church is called to, to, to train us in obedience but not obedience so that we can feel better about ourselves and feel self-fulfilled or even that we can sleep at night knowing I've done my part mm. no Why would we ever want to go back to slavery? Our Egypt, as the biblical motif, offers us to our captivity. We were in the worst of ways, worse than you know. We were more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Enslaved, first and foremost, to me. But Paul says, second point, sons, Slaves and sons. Look back at verse 4 again. And this is a beautiful, beautiful verse in Galatians. Hmm. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come at just the right time, after the guardians and managers, the law and the principles, 
the principles that, that underpin all of creation, when it had all done its job, and the Father had set the date, and the date had come, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, subjected to it Himself, verse 5, to redeem, this is a purchasing of a slave, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's only five times in the New Testament. I don't know if you realize this. Only five times in the New Testament is that word very, very important. What we're about to talk about that adoption appears in the New Testament. It's a new world word. Paul's the one that uses it. That we might, he did all this, he sent his son to redeem those who are under the law, that we might, us, receive adoption as sons. And because we, you are sons, God has sent the Spirit into, of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's like an Aramaic artifact in our, in our New Testament. Abba, Father, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is as good as it gets. Better than you dreamed. Better than I think most of us comprehend. I'm sure of this. None of us get this completely. We are not gonna, we're not going to exhaust everything that there is to understand and comprehend and enjoy about this reality that we are sons. Heirs. Through what God has done. John Owen, old Puritan, he said, if the love of the Father, that's what we're talking about here, if the love of the Father will not make a child delight in him, think about this, if dad and his love for his son doesn't delight his son, John Owen says, what will? What, what will? Verse 8, if you look down, skipping the second the repetition there. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods, but now you have come to know God, the true and living God, the one and only God, or rather, to be known by God. This isn't an intellectual thing. This is an intimate thing. This is to be known by Him. He knows you well before you know Him. He says, how, how can you, middle of verse 9, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years and all kinds of things that you read on the internet about how Christians are to be. In. This, this cry, this, this cry, it's, it's a particular sound. We know that church full of babies. Maybe, thank goodness the babies don't yell out Mom! when they're three weeks old. They, they cry. Away, a distinct cry in our souls. Just like with a child and its mother or father that confirms that we are children and belong to someone. What an encouraging thing to know that I'm no longer a slave. 
even inside my own soul, my heart cries out, Father. The, the Christian name for God, I've heard that said many times, that, that, it's the Christian name for God. Nobody else calls him Father. Not even the Israelites, but Christians. Because he sent his son to redeem us from our slavery, we can't help but say, Father. And listen, oh, listen, the notion that we are children of God, the notion that we are children of God, can't get better than this, his own sons and daughters, Sinclair Ferguson says, it's the main spring of Christian living. This is where Christian living comes from. A notion that we are children of God. He, he writes, our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. Why? Why has he redeemed you if you've trusted in Christ and he has paid the ransom price to purchase you for himself? Well, he did that that you might be, it says there, adopted, receiving an inheritance, the same inheritance as his only son. His inheritance becomes your inheritance. This is the, the apex of everything he has done, everything he has created. Paul says, Paul says in Ephesians 1, one or the other of the only five places where he talks about adoption, and this is so familiar for you, but listen to it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that because we were heirs but not already. We were slaves, right? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us what? For adoption. This is the apex of redemption. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. And if you follow that sentence, and there's one more sentence, a ridiculously long sentence, as you get all the way to verse 14, that's like 14 verses later, 13 verses later. It says we're sealed by the Spirit. And He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? What is that? Everything. You're a son. And if you think, well, that's odd. I'm, I'm female. I, I, th I thought I was a woman or I, I'm a young lady. I, I, what do you mean I'm a son? Well, theologically speaking, you want to be a son in this economy. This is a theological statement here. Sons inherited the Father's possessions all that he has. Look, the highest privilege that can be bestowed on a person is to be adopted into a family. And when we're talking about the Lord and we're talking about the Gospel, the highest privilege that can be bestowed on anyone is to be adopted into God's family. In our salvation, God not only redeems us from our sins and sets us free and imputes to us, gives us, grants us all that is Christ starting with His righteousness so that He sees us blameless and pure before Him just as He sees Jesus, so He sees you. But... If that's not good enough, this gets better. 
He also adopts us into His very family. And when we are adopted into this dance of the Trinity, where they have been loving, the three persons have been loving each other from all eternity, what do they find? But we find eternal life. Here is where life is. Life is the sharing, God's eternal sharing in the gracious overflow of fatherly, eternal love for His Son and Son's We are not only saved, well, we're not saved by what, what Jesus taught. We're not saved by what we understand that Jesus taught. We're saved by Jesus himself. We get him when we receive him. And when we receive him, we get everything. Like sons who are heirs, not slaves. That's why Paul says when the fullness of time God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is what it means for you and I if we, if we know how good it is. And this has been the message of Galatians since verse 1.1. 1, 1. Everyone who receives him by faith, not by works, not by anything you do or who you are. All who will receive Christ and all that he has accomplished on your behalf get to say, today, right now, if that's you for the first time, today and every day for all of eternity, get to say, get to receive, get to hear this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is, these are my beloved sons in whom I am well pleased. As the popular song goes today, and I pray this would be for us so that we would not somehow forget and want to go back to the way it was. We are who God says we are. You know that song? You are who God says you are. Sons. No longer slaves. May you and I live in the good of being adopted into the family of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, if it weren't for your word, I don't know what I would know or what I would believe. I think we would all be deceived. As, as much as we're deceived right now and some of us are resisting it with all we got, grace is scary. Grace is scary because it means we have to give up and have to trust someone else, give ourselves over to someone else and their will and their pleasure, their competency, their performance, their record, their inheritance. As scary as that is, it's better than being a slave. Lord, thank you for the grace to repent of our sin and to run to the Savior.
and be redeemed and adopted to receive eternal life as we're forgiven for all our sins. That forevermore, we'll, we'll hear again and again, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, may that be for all of us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.